Um, have you ever lost something mildly important to you, somewhat important? You ever lost something? Okay, I, all of us have probably lost something at some point. The keys or a cell phone, or we've lost something important. This morning, uh, right after we got done rehearsing with the band, I realized that I had lost um, my iPad. It was, I didn't really lose it. It was at home on the couch, um, but it's really hard to preach if I don't have that. Uh, so I had to send my son back home, race across town uh, to get that. It's kind of a panic moment when you lose something. And it doesn't matter whether you're a person, a parent, or a toy. In Toy Story 4, Woody is on an epic quest to save Bo Peep. And he's also trying to help out a brand new toy that gets introduced to the family there named Forky. And he wanted Forky to understand how important he was to Bonnie. See, Forky believed that he was just a bunch of trash. And he believed that because that's where Bonnie found him. He was a uh, little plastic spork with some other junky stuff that she pulled out of the trash can and she made a new friend out of it. So he believed that he was just a bunch of trash. He didn't understand the love that Bonnie had for him. So while Forky tries to run away over and over and over again to go back where he thought he belonged, Woody tries to help him see how much Bonnie loves him. Now, by the end of the film, Woody, of course, rescues Bo Peep, and he helps Forky realize the important role that he played in Bonnie's life. Doesn't matter whether you're a talking toy named Woody, whether you're a pretend cartoon uh, child who likes to make friends out of used plastic eating utensils, or whether you're a real-life person, you know what it's like to lose something. When our son Trent... Our son Trent, who has autism, was six years old. He uh, went through this phase where he liked to just run and take off. If you're a parent, you ever had a kid do that, you know the kind of terror that that happens uh, when that happens. And so we had gone to Yellowstone on a family vacation after our oldest son had graduated from high school. And uh, we stopped there. We were walking through a gift shop waiting for Old Faithful uh, to come around. And uh, Trent bolted in that gift shop. And we lost him, thankfully only for a few moments, found him inside uh, one of those round clothes racks. I uh, don't know how in the world we found him, but there he was inside of there, maybe just trying to get away from everybody. It was another time we were in a parking lot and he let go of a hand and took off across the parking lot. I'm pretty fast, uh, but it took me a while to catch up to him. And by the time I did, he was heading right toward a very busy street. And he doesn't care about traffic. I caught him in time. There was another time, a few months after that, we were at home in Leon, and, and somehow he got out of the house, opened the door, and took off. By the time we realized he was gone and got outside, he was nowhere to be found. We uh, screamed and hollered for him up and down the streets. We called the police. Uh, we were frantic trying to find him. About 20 minutes later, he comes walking out of our neighbor's backyard like we were the ones that had a problem. It's hard when you lose things. We've all been there. That moment of panic when what you're looking for can't be found. And I'm not talking about, you know, honey, where's the peanut butter kind of stuff. I'm talking about those big things, losing a child or your wallet or your car keys or your cell phone, even if you're talking on it at the time. You ever done that? Yeah, me too. <laughs> honey where's my phone okay never mind 
and that overwhelming sense of relief when we found what we thought we had lost. We all lose things. Now for God, that process is a little bit different because God is all-knowing, right? He's everywhere present. He's all-powerful. So God doesn't lose things like you and I lose things. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't search for things that are lost. The Bible is full of stories, of examples, where things are lost and, and, and how God feels about those who are lost spiritually. And in every single one of those stories, God searches for what is lost until it's found and then there's a party. The story of Zacchaeus is one of those examples. You know about Zacchaeus? Where, where's uh, Andrea? Andrea and, and Tristan. Where's Tristan? Where'd she go? Tristan, Andrea, come up here. Tristan, come up here. Come, you two, come on. Come on, we're waiting. The message is really long today, so you guys got to hustle up to the front here. Got a lot of stuff to do. All right, come, come up. Oh, you're so slow, my goodness. Okay, stand up. Come up on the top. There you're going to turn around and face everybody. Okay. Now, um, we are going to sing Zacchaeus. Are you ready? Do you remember? Yes, of course. Okay, go. You got to start because you're, oh, like this. I did it like this because my hands are bigger. Was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Sing along. Climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. For I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house today. This is what we do at our house. Woohoo! Yay, thanks. Go ahead. Now, now you know the story of Zacchaeus. I always wondered um, when we sang that song and we got to the Jesus portion of that, you know, and Jesus sees him up in the tree and he goes, Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm like, Jesus didn't do that. He was like, hey, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to hang out. Okay, anyway, so the song is not quite like real life. Okay, whatever. So we're going to be in the story of Zacchaeus today, Luke chapter 19. So if you have paper Bibles, you can go there, New Testament, Luke chapter 19, one of the Gospels. Uh, you can also follow along if you have a phone, you have your Bible app, Luke chapter 19. Uh, if you have a tablet, you can go there. Uh, also, you can follow along at reallifecc.us. Go to the My Message Notes link. You can follow along there. Or if you're just um, lazy, watch the screen. Okay, so here's how it goes. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Period. Let's stop right there. Remember that Luke, the guy who wrote this letter, he was a doctor, and he was the groups, the disciples, Jesus' primary historian. He was the one who got all the dates and all the times correct. And, and so he wrote about what Jesus and his fellow disciples were doing. And apparently the plan that morning when they got up was to go to Jerusalem. And to get to Jerusalem, they had to go through Jericho. All too often when we're on our way to fulfilling our dreams, maybe that's climbing the corporate ladder or accumulating wealth or power or 
just getting to that next plateau in life where you think, now I'll make it, you know, if I could just get there. You, you remember that, being a kid, and you could thought, oh, if I could just get to where I could ride a bike on my own, and mom and dad would let me get out of the driveway, I'd finally live. And then, oh, if I could finally get a car, I could be my own person. And then, oh, i got to have a job to put gas in the car. And I'd just get to college, everything would be good. I'd just get that job, everything would be good. We're always looking for that next thing in life. And what happens is we kind of pass through the rest of our life. And when you get to be my age, you start looking back and going, man, I kind of just blew through all that stuff. I didn't think about it enough. I didn't process it enough. I didn't spend enough time, you know, smelling the roses, all that kind of stuff. We miss a lot of significant things when we're just passing through on our way to whatever's next. Now, the trip from Jericho to Jerusalem is about 30 hours of very difficult walking. And I'm sure the disciples were thinking about that, like, hey, we got to get on the road early. We want to avoid the sun. We got a long way to go. We want to get to Jerusalem where, like, we have friends there. There's probably a comfortable bed, maybe a hot meal. They were thinking about what was next. But Jesus knew that something significant was going to happen in Jericho that day. So while the disciples were thinking about what was next, Jesus was concerned about who was near. So we read about that in verse 2. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And we know probably everything we need to know about Zacchaeus with just that one statement. We know right away that he had been cha- what he had been chasing in his life. He had been chasing power and position. But he wasn't chasing friends. See, as chief tax collector, Zacchaeus had most likely made a lot of enemies. The only ones who could probably stand being around him were other tax collectors, other people who does the same thing that, that he does. And since he was the boss, the chief tax collector, he never knew if those who were around him and said nice things to him were doing that because they liked him or just because he was the boss. Zacchaeus, you see, worked for the Romans. And the Romans were the occupying military force in Jerusalem, in the whole Israel uh, area. And, and so... Zacchaeus worked for the Romans as a tax collector of his own countrymen. You could see why they wouldn't like him very much. But even though Zacchaeus had what he always wanted, fame and wealth and power in that position, he realized that what he really wanted was something more. And so look what happens in verse 3. It says that even though Zacchaeus had all this stuff, he was chief tax collector, he was wealthy, he had power, he had position, But he wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus since he was coming that way. Now since Zacchaeus was a a small man, he probably spent his life trying to gain the attention of ladies and the respect of men. Finally, after struggling for so many years... Not getting the respect he was due, Zach had what he was chasing. Right? He had money, he had power, he had position. Now people had to look up to him, even if they had to look down to him. But there was something missing in his life. Zach had what he wanted and then realized he didn't want what he had. So when he heard about Jesus, this Jesus who healed the lame and caused the blind to see, who, who taught about God in a way that nobody else had 
He wanted to see what Jesus was all about. So he went to see Jesus, but couldn't. You might think that a wealthy, powerful man like Zacchaeus could have just walked right through the crowd, right up to Jesus. But remember that nobody liked him. They considered him a traitor and a sinner. And and I'm not sure which one was worse in their mind. So it may not have been that Zacchaeus was just too short. It may have been that he was literally squeezed out, ignored, and neglected by the crowd. But instead of giving up, Zacchaeus goes up. And he goes up into a tree just to get a look at Jesus. Now when the crowd passed Zacchaeus, they either totally ignored him, or they ridiculed and laughed at him. I mean, if you saw somebody like the president of your bank or something up in a tree trying to get a look, well, you'd probably laugh too. Like, what is that guy in a suit doing up in a tree? It doesn't make any sense. And so as a crowd comes, probably they were focused on Jesus, didn't even see him. But those who did see him probably were laughing and nudging their friends. But it says a, a lot about Zacchaeus. Where he was personally and spiritually in his life. That instead of just going home when he didn't get to see Jesus the first time, he goes and climbs a tree. You know, I think there are a lot of people looking for Jesus. Probably a lot more people looking for Jesus today than we really realize. People who may never, we may never think would care about Jesus at all are actually trying desperately to see him. Now maybe they don't realize they're looking for Jesus. They might call it purpose or, or meaning or, or I lost my passion. But we as believers, we know what they really need. They really need to find real life in Jesus. And it's hard to think that maybe we in the church have been like the crowd that was around Jesus that day. Maybe we're the ones who are the reason that those who are looking for Jesus haven't been able to see him. Maybe it's our hypocritical lifestyle. You've heard me say this before. We've earned that, okay? The church as a whole over the last several hundred years has earned that hypocritical title. We show up to church on Sunday morning and we sing our songs and everything is great and we love each other, but we don't do a very good job of showing that love to those outside the doors of the church. We talk a good game and and we point fingers at people who sin and then we kind of spend some time in that gray area. We've earned that title. Maybe we've kept other people from seeing because of our Sunday morning dress code. Now, not here. What other places? We have people who come here who tried to go to other churches, but but they walked in and, and maybe just the way everybody else looked immediately made them feel like an outsider. Maybe it's our insider talk. You know, somebody who's not a churchy person comes into church and, and we're talking about how blessed we are. And, oh, we got a fellowship and we call everybody brother and sister. Like, who are these crazy people? Well, they don't get our insider talk. And because they're not a part of that, that language, that insider talk, they feel like they're outsiders. I believe that many who have wanted to see Jesus have been ignored by the church. But Jesus notices those we ignore. Jesus sees those we scorn. Jesus is always looking 
for the lost. Look what happens in verse 5. The crowd is passing Zacchaeus, but when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. While everyone else was passing Zacchaeus by, Jesus seemed to be there just for him. And we may not think it's that big of a deal, but for Jesus to say he wanted to go to the home of Zacchaeus was a huge deal in that day and time and culture. If you ate with somebody, it means that you accepted them. That the things that they did, you agreed with. And you were a part of what was going on. And so Jesus was totally ruining his reputation by going to eat in the house of Zacchaeus. But for Zacchaeus, it meant that Jesus loved him and accepted him and wanted to have relationship with him. That's why it was so important to Zacchaeus. You know, sometimes before the service starts here at Real Life, we play some secular music, like this morning. We played Footloose. Uh, I think Easton had some uh, theme songs from some movies going on. And um, we play a lot of 80s stuff because that's basically the best decade of music ever in the history of the world. Um, so we do that. We played um, popular songs and sometimes, um, honestly, sometimes church people don't like that. Right? We, we come into church and there's a secular song playing over the loudspeakers. We go, wait a minute, what's going on? I don't come to church to listen to that. I come to church to be filled up. And, and that's great. I'm, I'm glad. But there's a real obvious reason we do that. And it's the same reason, just kind of on the opposite side of the spectrum, of why we don't play organ music before church. We want to intentionally make those who aren't already connected to the church or to Jesus feel comfortable. Now think about this. People who are new to church or maybe new to real life, they're going to come in and they're going to sit down and during the morning service, they're going to hear songs that they have never heard before. And people around them are going to be standing up and singing and clapping and raising their hands and they're going to feel completely out of place. Because they're not going to get it. So if we can help them feel a little bit more comfortable before the service starts by playing a song that they can hum to or that they can sing to, at least in their heads when they walk in the doors, and that's why we do that. If we can help them relax a little bit more because nothing else in the service that they're going to experience is going to be normal for them. So maybe just for a moment, we make them feel a little more at home. And so the next time you hear the band play a secular song or you hear maybe some Huey Lewis in the news rocking before church, here's what you do. Sing along with it. Be like Jeff and dance to the music in the back by the door. Maybe don't be like Jeff and dance. If you've, if you've seen him dance, dance don't, don't do that. Um, but, but listen, don't, don't be upset about that. Embrace it because you'll actually be helping others feel more relaxed and comfortable. Like they matter in that moment. You know, Andy and I have um, four kids. But when Trent ran off, we ran off after him. We like left the, uh, okay, you stay here. And we took off. Because no matter how many kids you have, the one that's missing is the one that matters. 
right? The one that's missing is the one that matters. Jesus stopped under that tree with a crowd of people around him because Zacchaeus mattered. He was the only one in that moment that was missing. We often miss those people because we're not looking for them like Jesus. And when we see them, we don't really recognize them. We don't really see them like Jesus was. We often see them like the crowd that was with Jesus in Jericho that day saw them. Look at what what it says in verse 7. Luke says, all the people saw this, okay? So they get there. Jesus stops. He looks up in the tree. He tells Zacchaeus, hey, come down. We're going to eat together in your house. And everybody saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Those who were there that day with Jesus and the disciples, when they looked at Zacchaeus, all they could see was a sinner, a traitor, a, a scumbag. What do we see when people walk in the doors at real life? What we should see is a a soul in need of a Savior. That's what Jesus saw when he looked at Zacchaeus. Someone who not only needs Jesus, but is looking for something real, something meaningful, something that satisfies the deep desires of their hearts. This is why we don't have a greeting time in the middle of service. I've been asked a lot, why don't we do a greeting time? In my old church, we used to have a greeting time. Let me just tell you why. Because I don't think it's authentic. Every newcomer to real life knows that the people greeting them during a called out greeting time during the service is greeting them because they're forced to by the pastor or whoever happens to say, greet your neighbor. And don't we also say this, if you've ever been in church before, they go, hey, find somebody you don't know and say hi to them. So during those few moments, everybody that says hi to you, you know it's not authentic because they were told to do it. So we don't do that. Partly we don't do that because if I'm new and I'm sitting on this side of the room and somebody sitting next to me gets up and runs clear over the other side of the room to give their friend a big old hug and say, oh, how you doing and whatever, and could only give me as a guest a second to say hi, I know right away that I'm not important, right? I don't matter as much as that person on the other side of the room. But if we come a little early, we, if we come a little early, if we hang out a little after, we can welcome those we've never seen before, and that speaks way louder than any forced greeting time from the stage in the middle of the service. Look, there are over 40,000 people within 20 minutes of us that need Jesus. They've tried lots of other ways to satisfy those deep desires in their hearts, but nothing has worked, and they're looking for something real. Most of them are skeptical of church because church is promised and then not produced. Maybe they took a risk and climbed the steps of the church only to find out that most people inside ignored them or they were called out in a greeting time. Or strange people touched them and prayed for them. Or whatever crazy things we in the church sometimes do. But really, we just need to see them. Because if they're trying to see Jesus, he's already working on their heart. Look at verse 8 and 9. Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now. I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay it back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today, 
Salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus responded generously because he recognized that Jesus loved him greatly. So he responded to the love that Jesus gave him in an equal way. And Jesus says something that's incredible. See, Zacchaeus had spent most of his adult life as he was climbing the ladder of tax collectors, however that looks. He was going there and, and, and everybody he was in contact with was, was hating on him. And you can't be a part of the Jews if you're working for the Romans. We don't like you. We don't want to be around you. We don't want to have anything to do with you. And yet Jesus comes and says, not only has salvation come, but you are a son of Abraham. You're part of the promise. And not just part of the promise, but we go way back to the beginning when Abraham was called by God. And the Bible says that Abraham believed in God. And it was that belief that was credited as righteousness. Abraham was accepted by God because he had faith. And now Zacchaeus is displaying that exact same kind of faith. God says, you're accepted. Jesus says, you're accepted. God accepts you because you've responded, because your heart has had a change. And all it took was for Jesus to see Zacchaeus. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Woody got it. Woody knew that the rest of the toys were with Bonnie. They were going to be okay. They had each other. They had her. The same is true of the church. We've got each other. We've got Jesus. We already have that relationship with him that should be growing in our own daily devotional prayer time. Our relationship with him should be strong, not just something we foster on Sunday mornings, but something that happens throughout the week. And that should motivate us to look for the lost who are looking for something real. So how would you classify yourself today? Would you, would you say you identify more with one of the groups with Jesus who were following him through, him through Jericho, who were more interested in what Jesus was saying or who he was healing or what he was doing than, than what was going on around them, than what was happening around them, what God was doing in the lives of people around them? Would you relate more to, uh, as a follower of Jesus, who is acting like Jesus and and looking for the lost who might be around you. Or maybe today you're like Zacchaeus. You're trying desperately to get a glimpse of the real Jesus, but maybe you're having a hard time seeing him because of your situation or your sin, or maybe even the church. Here's the challenge today. If you're a follower of Jesus, do what Jesus did. Seek the lost. Look for people who God is already drawing, already drawing their hearts and spend time with them. Invite them to church. Go out to lunch with them. Share your story. Tell about Jesus from your perspective. If you're a Zacchaeus today, don't give up. Don't assume that just because a Christian is doing it mean God mean God's approves it. We want you to see past us so that you can get a clear view of Jesus. Now next week is our big serve. So over the next two weeks, I want you to ask God about who's been working, uh, who he's been working on in your sphere of influence. 
Just ask God, God, show me whose heart you might be drawing to faith. And then find an opening to talk with them. Spend time with them. Invite them to church with you on the 18th when we're back here or the 25th when Nasser will be here. That'll be a great morning. I'm so excited for that. But ask God to show you who might be around you that might be looking for him already. And then get involved. Because church, we're not just passing through El Dorado. We're not here for a while and then gone. We want to create a better future right here, not just for us, but for the whole community. And so we've got to remain committed to a few things. We want to remain committed to removing the obstacles that people have to seeing Jesus. Maybe it's traditional church. Maybe it's dress clothes. Maybe it's even the building we meet in. We want to ask, how can we break down the walls and build bridges to those outside the church who are already climbing trees in order to see Jesus? We want to be committed to removing those obstacles. We also want to remain committed to seeking the lost. So far in the 12 years that real life has been in existence, we've baptized 137 people into that real life in Jesus. Wouldn't it be great if over the next few months we could push that to 150? That would be so exciting. And it will only happen if we all continue to seek the lost and remember that regardless of how many a people attend real life, it's the ones that are missing that matter. We also want to remain committed to introducing every person possible to Jesus. Jesus can seek and save the lost. All you and I can do is seek him. We've got to make sure that when people are looking at us, they see Jesus. When they come to church, they hear Jesus. And that eventually, they find their own real life in Jesus. See, only Jesus saves but he's called us to seek. And that means that if we're never looking for the lost, we'll never look like Jesus. So our focus has to be the lost because they're why Jesus came. We're why Jesus came. Every one of us was lost before Jesus found us and called us into relationship with him. Our job now is to seek others and let them see Jesus so that he can save them too. And we want to do that in whatever the most effective way possible is. And guess what? Seeking the lost has nothing to do with what building we meet in, how much money we've got in the bank, or who's already coming. Doesn't matter. Any of that doesn't matter. Because we start that conversation one-on-one, just like Jesus. Here's what matters. If we're not seeking those who are lost, Jesus won't be saving them. At least he won't be saving them through us. And that's a terrible thing. So let's make sure every person possible can find real life in Jesus right here in El Dorado. We'll be doing that by doing exactly what he did. Seeking the lost. Let's pray. God, thank you for seeking us. Thank you for calling us into relationship with you when we didn't deserve it. God, you drew us 
And we know that you're drawing others. Would we be aware? Would we have eyes to see them, to see what you're doing in the lives of the people around us, and then speak truth into those moments, to to invite them to church, to share our story, to to tell them about what you've done in our lives, about the freedom we found, the, the forgiveness we found, the family we found here at Real Life. God, more than anything else, we want to help every person possible find real life in your son Jesus And we want to look more like your son every day. If we're going to do that, God, we have got to seek the lost. Because that's what you did. So would you help us to do that? No matter where we're at, no matter what comes in the future, God, would we be a church that seeks, seeks the lost? Would your kingdom be grown? here in this place, in Jesus.